Welcome to the Christ Community Church podcast. I am Ryan Balby, the interim teaching pastor. Yes, and I'm Blake Cox. I am the high school pastor. Yes, and we are here to dive a little bit deeper into Sunday, February 19th message uh, called A New Beginning, going through Genesis, well, six through nine, really, biggest chunk of scripture in our series in the beginning in the book of Genesis. And so we just get to come and explore the scripture a little bit more because honestly, Blake, there was a ton of stuff in there. Yeah, it was a good one too. Yeah. So actually one of the things, Blake, did you know that, you know, talking about Noah and the flood, if you are not familiar with the text, um, but if you aren't, hit pause and go read the text, read all, all these chapters and then come back to it. But did you know that there are other flood stories, narratives that are not biblically based? I actually did not know. Yeah. So one of the most popular one is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And it was a Babylonian writing that actually predates the book of Genesis, uh, the right, well, the writing of Genesis anyways. And mm -hmm. there are said to be something like hundreds of tales about great, massive global floods. And so some people will look at that and they'll say, well, your story is just one of the stories or it just copies the Epic of Gilgamesh or, you know, because there's so many stories of floods, then yours, you know, then the one can't be true. But I disagree. I think that the amount of writings actually tells you that there probably is truth to it because it wasn't just something that everyone had to make up. And it was something that everyone saw and witnessed, but maybe didn't understand the full picture or they didn't see it and witness it because there were only eight people who witnessed it. But, um, but they heard about it. They knew about it because, you know, they would have descended from, from Noah and, uh, and, and been aware of it. And actually just some, some stats on some of the stories of the flood that I think helped to prove the fact that the biblical account is the truthful account. Mm. Um, 88% of all the tales of the floods had a favored family. 70% had survival due to a boat. 95% had the sole cause of destruction was the flood. 66% said disaster was due to wickedness. 67% said the animals were preserved. 57% uh, talked about survivors ending up on a mountain. And then various accounts talked about birds being sent out, rainbows showing, and even others talked about eight people being saved. Um, these are all part of stories of the flood. So even in secular ancient writings, there is stories of the flood that line up with what happens in Noah. And it's easy to see, you know, you play telephone, you can see how these stories can, can sort of fan out and, and become maybe misguided or misunderstood in some ways. But again, the core of most of these flood stories is what we see in the biblical account. Yeah, that's really interesting too, because I, do any of these secular stories even mention Noah or do they just say a favored family? I think just a favored family. I don't think any of them specifically mention Noah. They kind of create their own spin on it. So the biblical story is the only one where it gets extremely detailed. Whereas all these other stories, it's kind of pointing to, oh, you have this family, there's a boat, animals were being saved, and they're all kind of accurate in that sense. But if anything, this is probably proving the legitimacy of the biblical text even more. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that if you're talking about, you know, creation, and, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about week one, that ancient cultures and for most of human history, believing in God was the norm. Like not believing in God is kind of a newer, really, in, in, in the span of human history. I mean, there's always been some people, but like it becoming a cultural norm is very is a very new thing. So even Genesis, it doesn't try and 
answer the question, is there a God? Because it was assumed there was a God. It tries to tell us who God right. is. And so with the flood, it's not really trying to answer, is this realistic or not? Like, is this, is this make-believe? Could this ever happen? It's saying, no, this happened. And let me give you the correct account of it. Hmm. That's really good. So we're, we're talking about Noah. We're talking about the wrath of God being poured out and, and in, in such a unique and also devastating way, but mm. in, from God's vantage point, it was still considered good, mm. um, which is always interesting to think about that the wrath of God is holy and righteous and it's good. Um, you know, I, it, and we'll get into that in a second. That's actually my first question that I have, but you, you mentioned children's ministry again and a coloring book. Last yeah. week we, we talked about a coloring book of Cain and Abel and how that would go. What does that coloring book look like for this story? It's not great. I mean, you don't, you don't really answer these questions in children's church. And that's, you know, this is where I started the message was like, you, you read the story from, from two different perspectives. Oftentimes you, you kind of start, if you grow up in the church, you start from a place of God's mercy and grace on Noah, which is true. It's there. It's, it's very relevant. And that's the picture that you color in kids church because you like that part. Noah lands on the mountain. His family comes off the boat. They've entered back into life. The rainbows there, the animals are all in perfect harmony. Um, you know, how quickly after the animals got off the boat, did like the lions start going after uh, like the antelope again, right? Like, I'm just, I don't know, I'm curious. Uh, but anyways, but like, but you you have everything back in, in seemingly in harmony and working together because it's like, oh yeah, look how good God was to Noah and his mercy to the one who decided to be faithful, who responded to God's call. Um, but you don't draw the other picture, which is like the reality. And it's hard to even talk about like this global flood that, that, that killed every living thing on earth. And, and, and you just think about that, like the devastation. And again, when the waters receded, even mm. it probably wouldn't have been the picture that we see in kids church. Like you would have seen devastation. You would have seen trees ripped up and, and torn out. You would have seen houses that had been broken down. You would have seen, you know, Bodies. just, yeah. Mm. Like, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just crazy to think about the devastation that you would have seen and that happens here. Um, and so it, you have to, you have to read both parts. You have to see God's wrath and judgment on sin and his mercy and grace for, for Noah, for the one that he favors and the one who chooses to respond to that call. Yeah. And God's, God's mercy is always so good. And it was poured out on Noah. And it says that Noah was a blameless man. Although you said, you mentioned at one point, uh, Noah recognized his sin. Um, before we kind of even get to that point, like, it's good that we understand God's mercy, but it always intrigues me about God's wrath. Mm -hmm. That's something that's always intriguing to me. And we see that really played out here in this story of uh, God wiping everything or almost everything and everyone off the face of the earth. Uh, why is God's wrath so important to the biblical story? Well, we, you know, I mentioned this in the message, like we, we want a just God. We need a just God because Every person sees evil and recognizes at least forms of evil. I'm, I'm, you know, you technically are not supposed to say every person because you never know, right? There's one person who may just be like, no, everything is good. Like, do whatever you want to do, like, really. Um, but for the most part, everyone understands evil. And, and when we see some, some extreme examples of it, almost everyone's immediate thought is justice needs to be um, 
needs to be given, right? It needs to be given for the victims, for uh, those who are hurt, those who are harmed. And so we, we want, we need a just God. We may disagree on what sin is and what's deserving of wrath. Um, but if God's wrath is not being poured out on, on sin, then he's not a loving God hmm. because then he doesn't care about those who are being harmed by sin or the, the effects of sin. Um, and, and that's not who God is. He is a loving God and his wrath is actually a, a sign of his, his love. Um, and it's a, an example of that. And that's, it, it's hard again in a story like this to accept that. But if God's not dealing with sin, there is no justice in the world. And we, we need a God who is just and will deal with sin. And he, he does. Um, and so it's also a starting place for us because, you know, as, as followers of Christ, if we can understand that, that God is going to judge sin, it makes what happens on the cross make sense, but it makes us understand really the beauty of grace and mercy. Because if we ignore sin and we ignore wrath and it's like, oh no, he's not going to punish sin, then the cross was never needed. And then the injustice of God is that he allowed his son to be crucified when it wasn't necessary. So to understand the cross, we have to understand God's wrath, his judgment on sin, the way he sees sin, the effects of sin, um, and to understand mercy and grace, like we have to start at that that place. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people before that aren't Christian, and they will always lean back on this idea of, well, God is so wrathful. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he is not loving because he allowed the death of so many people in these biblical stories. Um, but I think even to your point is actually in his love, he loved us so much that his wrath needed to be, uh, uh, fulfilled and was truly fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And, and that's great news for us because we are not Christ. Yeah. And we can't, we can't bear the wrath of God. There was only one who could truly bear the wrath of God. That's why we put our faith in Jesus. It's interesting because you you mentioned non-Christians. And, and I think one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons that people don't want to come to the Bible and, and accept that this is truth, accept that God's truth, is the problem of evil. And we're not going to address that here today. But I, I do think it's interesting that people will jump to, well, you know, because on one hand, they can jump to, hey, God did these wrathful things. He, he judged the world in this way. But then on, on the flip side, they can look and say, why does God allow bad things to happen? And that's where a lot of people go. And it's like, you do understand that by acknowledging this problem of evil, that you acknowledge that good and evil actually exist, that mm-hmm. there is a standard and that justice is needed. And, and so many times people want it both ways. They don't want a God who judges or who has wrath, but they also don't want to deal with the problem of evil. And it's like, you can't have both of those things. Like you can't accept both of those things as truth. Like God is just, and he's going to, he redeems all things. We may not understand why everything happens the way it happens right now, but we do know that there is redemption. There is justice for all these things. And so as a, as a believer, it's important to remember, like a lot of people will come and say, Hey, you can't deal with the problem of evil. Well, you can't either, but by mentioning that, you've already given credit to to a God who is uh, who is going to be just and judge this and deal with this. Right, and that's a whole another podcast yes. in itself. Yeah. So Something let's uh, let's narrow back in on the main point that we're trying to get at here today with you preaching on the story of Noah. Uh, you, you mentioned going back to what I said earlier. Noah recognized his own sin. 
Mm-hmm. Can you talk, expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, well, I think that it's it's most visible when he gets off the ark. The very first thing he does is worship and he offers a sacrifice. And based on Levitical law, what, what God asked, he offered a, a sin offering before God. And so Noah clearly looked out and saw the the wrath, the judgment that happened on people knew it was because of their sin. Cause God tells him because of the wickedness that exists in this world, this is what's going to happen. And so I think by making that offering, Noah is acknowledging that I have sin in the past that needs to be repented of, that needs to be dealt with. And I'm still sinful at my core. And by the way, like God even says that even though every inclination of the human heart is evil, well, there's only eight humans left. So Noah, you know, has to understand that like him and his family line have evil in their hearts, have sin in their hearts, have a sinful nature. And so he recognizes that and is coming with a repentant heart. But we do see in Noah's story that, I mean, immediately he gives into drunkenness and like that causes some issues with his family. Like, so, so we know that he has just like every other person, he has a sin problem, um, but he was willing to listen to God's call. Right. And it almost looks like in the text when it says that Noah was a a blameless man, you go, how is he considered a blameless man, but also have an issue with sin? I think it's that the fact that he recognized his own sin, that God called him blameless. Yeah. I mean, you know, David is called a man after God's own heart. And David is probably the greatest sinner of all of us. Right. Like, I mean, (laughs) his, his sins were worse than I think anyone listening to this podcast, like, can, can ever say they, they committed, right? Like he, he was worse than all of us. Um, and, but he, you look at like Psalm 51, he came with a repentant heart. And that's the thing. God doesn't expect perfection from us. Well, I mean, technically he does, but he knows we're not going to be perfect. And he's already made a plan for that. So when we repent of the sin and when he gives us that grace and that mercy and we respond and we say, Hey, yes, we're going to repent of our sin and we're going to move back towards you fully committing to you that's what, what God desires, right? Like he knows we're going to make mistakes. He knows we're going to mess up. Um, he knows that we're flawed and, and yet he gives us more chances. And so really the response is to say, I don't want the old me. I don't want the old way. I want something new and I'm going to pursue you. And even when I fall off, I'm going to get back on track because you have allowed me to get back on track. And so we're giving God the glory for bringing us into life. Noah gave God the glory for bringing him through the waters. He didn't say, hey, look at me. I built a boat and I survived the flood. (laughs) Right. So in that sense, like that's that's I think what separates Noah from everyone else. Everyone else had gone their own way. We're living based on their own thing. And, and Noah's still saying, no, it's about God. And, mm. and he was walking with God and had a relationship with God and was blameless in his generation. So preach to us for a second. What happens when we recognize our own sin in our walk with Jesus? Yeah, I mean, w- when, when God allows us to see, when he opens up our, our eyes so that we can see the sin that exists in our life, we repent of that sin, meaning we turn from the sin. We turn towards God. We say, I don't want my ways anymore. I want your way. And, and we accept the gift that he has given us through Jesus Christ. And so when we, uh, when we accept that gift, praise be to God for his grace and his mercy, we are able to walk into life and life to the full. And it's a life where we can live in obedience. We can live in relationship. We can live doing the things that God desires mm-hmm. for us to do. And that's what we see with Noah is that he walked in this life and got to be a part of not only his own salvation story, but he got to be a part of his family's salvation story as well. Um, because God chose to say, Hey, Noah, like through you, I'm going to 
save you and your family. Mm -hmm. and, and what an incredible blessing that is. And so, yeah, we, we have to actually, we have to acknowledge our sin, turn from our sin and turn towards what Jesus has for us. Mm, that's good. So good. Um, so we taught, uh, you, we, we like to use this language a lot, or I, I notice when I watch you preach a lot about walking with God, how it is essential to the Christian life. And you just pointed to it. That's what Noah did. He walked with God. He was a part of God's story. Um, why is it necessary to the Christian to walk with God? Well, I think that idea of walking with, it speaks to relationship. And so when you, when you walk with, and I heard this once and I'll probably mess it up, but we're like, when you walk with uh, someone, you're agree, typically you're agreeing on the place that you're going, you're agreeing on the pace that you're going to be walking on, and you're agreeing on the path that you're going to be going on. And so you know the destination and, and with God, I mean, we're just saying, Hey, we're, I mean, ultimately we don't need to know the destination, but we're trusting that, you know, the destination. Um, but we're not going off course and saying, Hey, I'll meet you there. Right. Um, we're, we're walking the same path that he is taking us that might be hard, right. It might look more difficult, more challenging at times. Um, but we're trusting him and at the, at the pace that he wants to lead us in. And so what that means for us is that daily, we have habits of, of being with God, of being in relationship with him, of walking with him, of spending time with him. And, you know, if, if we want to guard our hearts against sin, like we need to be walking with God and, and spend time with him, right? I mean, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted scripture because he knew scripture. Like when Adam and Eve were tempted, they didn't know enough because they weren't paying attention to know the full truth about what God had desired for them. Uh, Noah was walking with God and I think was dealing with the sin that was in his heart. Everyone else appear apparently was not. Um, but also like, I think every Christian wants to be a part of an extraordinary moment for mm -hmm. God. And if you want to be, if you, if you want the extraordinary, you have to be faithful in the ordinary. Right. And, and you said so that on Sunday I too. did, I did. Yeah. I'm stealing my line. Um, <laughs> I probably stole from someone else to be honest. So if I stole it from you, thank you for it. Um, but like, but, but truthfully, like we just need to be in constant relationship with him. And, and if we think that we can just show up on Sunday, um, or even worse, like show up Christmas and Easter or once a month or whatever. And like, have a praise time and maybe, you know, pray a prayer that the pastor leads. Like that's not enough. That's not a relationship. Like you can't get away with that with your wife. You can't get away with that with a friendship. Like, no, like this is a relationship with God, spend time with him. And also it's, it's the path to life. Like he has the words to life. So we need to know that because like we talked about before, the enemy is going to try and pull us away from God. And if we don't know who he is, he's going to come and say, did God really say, is that really God's character? Is that really right. God's nature? So walk with God and spend time with him. The enemy will start testing your biblical knowledge. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he will. And 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 like your commitment to right, because it's not just it's not just head knowledge. It's are you actually putting it into practice too? Right. Like, are you demonstrating love to people? Are you spending time? Like, does the word lead you to worship? Like, it, you know, for Noah, he received God's mercy, led him to worship. Like, are you sacrificing some things? Are you serving? Are you giving? Like, are are you really giving God all of yourself? Because if not, if you're holding things back, the enemy has got a foothold. That's right. Um, I like that where you said being faithful in the ordinary and God will lead you to do something extraordinary. And ultimately, like you're getting at, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about how extraordinary we can be as individuals. Right. And sometimes like even the extraordinary is for some people, maybe really minor for some people, it's 
I served in my local church. I, I maybe uh, I took a step of faith by giving for the first time or uh, whatever. I think oftentimes when we hear that word extraordinary, we think, oh, it's completely unique to me. And it, it puts me in a position where all eyes are on me. Yeah. Um, so what do you what do you mean by that? Like, well, the, the extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, first of all, anyone who follows Christ, like something extra- extraordinary has already happened. Right. Like a miracle has already happened in your life that that God has removed the blinders from your eyes so that you can see him and know him and know the truth, like know the gospel message, know that Jesus is Lord. I, I mean, that is that is a miracle that has taken place mm-hmm. in your life. And so praise God for that. Um, but yeah, I think any time that you that you can do something that's outside of yourself. Like that's an extraordinary thing. Now, yeah, I am saying like there, there are some big things you get to be a part of, right? Like if I get to be a part of someone else's story, um, that's huge. Like if I get to be a part, like, and even if it's just, Hey, I prayed for them or I, I showed them love and that helps soften their hearts to the gospel. You know, I, I had a friend that I invited to church for years, all through junior high and high school. No, 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 no chance, no chance, no chance. And he walked further and further into like a secular cultural like lifestyle, right? That was just like very far from the way God would have him live. And and then years later, I see him walk through the doors of church and and he'd been coming, I guess, for a couple of weeks. And it was like, he was like, hey, thanks for, you know, mm-hmm. thanks for like kind of planting that seed all those years ago. And it's like, man, are you kidding me? Like just, just the invite, just demonstrating love in some ways was a little bit of his story. I, I wasn't the one that got him in the door. I wasn't the one that converted him, um, but I was a part of his story. And and so that's something that like, again, sometimes you don't even see the extraordinary things that God is doing in your life because we may all have a moment like that that we don't even know about, right? Because we may not see that person come to church, right. but they might be there. So when we are demonstrating love, when we are demonstrating faithfulness in our day to day, like God's using that. Yeah, that's an extraordinary. and. You know, oftentimes too, like we'll have an influence on the people around us without even knowing it just by walking with God. Like they will view and recognize your life and see how you live and go, man, that person loves God. They are filled with joy and and I want that. And sometimes it's completely hands off and, and just because of how you live, their entire life has changed. So that's good. Um, we talk also a lot about pastoring our areas of influence. And you mentioned it in this story. Noah was a pastor in his area of influence. Um, there's a good chance that his own family were pastors of their areas of influence as well when they started to expand. But um, it, how can we be better pastors? And and what do you maybe break down that word for us first? What do you mean by pastor? Um, how is it different from teacher and how can we, uh, how can we be better pastors in our lives, in our areas of influence? Yeah. So, th- yeah, this is a phrase that we talk about at our church and it really comes from, uh, comes from scripture that says, you know, we are royal priesthood and the idea of the priesthood is, is what we would kind of think of as pastors today. Um, you know, being priests and pastors, those things are going to line up in terms of today's culture and world. And, and so what that means is, is yes, there are obviously people who, have a job title that is a pastor and that's an important role to play like that's a that's a specific place in scripture of teachers elders uh, pastor however you want to classify that, um, that 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 is for you know a church congregation but all of us have a responsibility that, that god has placed us in our areas of influence 
at the time that we live for a reason. And some of us can feel like, oh, I'm not prepared for this. But no, you are like, that's the reason God has, has put you in this place. And so we, we have families. We start with our families of being a light to our families. And that might mean discipling, evangelizing to our families. Um, it might mean that we are encouraging if our, if our blood relatives are brothers and sisters in Christ, then it means we're encouraging them and pushing them onward towards, towards deeper faith. Um, but again, it go, then it goes beyond that into our neighborhoods and, you know, your neighbors, like you have influence on your neighbors, even just the way that you treat them and the way you respond to things they say, like you have influence, you have influence with your coworkers and, and God has placed us in our areas of influence for a reason. And that's to be a light to those who don't know Jesus and to be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ to, to push them forward in, in ministry and serving him in relationship with him. So we all have that responsibility. Like we are all Christians. We are all children of God. We are all on mission. None of us are, are, are sitting on the bench, right? This isn't a game where we're sitting on the bench waiting to get in or letting like the varsity guys go and play and, and waiting for our turn. No, like if we are followers of Christ, it is our turn to go and demonstrate the love of Christ to all those around us and to point people to him. Right. And Noah lived a, a life of pastoring. He was considered a righteous man and he loved God and he loved those around him. Um, a, a couple more things that I want to get back to the biblical story uh, about Noah. Um, it, it says in chapter six, verse six, the Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think other translations use the word that like it grieved him. Um, and, and so, you know, w we need to remember that that God doesn't change his mind. He he knew history from the beginning. He is um, uh, he, he is omniscient. He you know is omnipresent. So he sees all these things. But I think you just you look and what this is telling us is the sin of the world was so great that God, God has emotions. God is, is, is an emotional God and not in a like bad way, like, Oh, so emotional. Right. But like in a way that is relatable, I mean, being made in the image of God, it makes sense that we experience emotions that God experiences himself. And it, it grieved him. Like he was, he was devastated by the sin of the world and, and, and was crushed by the fact that all these people are walking away from him. And so, you know, you said this in the very beginning, but when you look at the wrath and the judgment, it can be really hard to accept. But if we accept that God is a good, loving God, then what he did is he said, hey, there is no way that this is going to correct itself. And this is only going to lead to more people walking astray. And so we need we need to hit a reset. And, mm -hmm. and so that really is what he was doing is hitting a reset to say, hey, if I want people to be following me, if I want people to come to redemption, to come to salvation, things need to change. Mm. And so the wrath needs to be poured out now so that the mercy and grace can be experienced because at the moment, everyone was walking away from it. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, near the close of your message that uh, this story connects to the uh, creation story. Uh, do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I'll share just, just a little bit. Um, so one of the things mentioned was you know, in Genesis, like it starts really in, in Genesis six and verse 14, he starts kind of describing, God describes how Noah's going to build the ark. And, and then in verse 22, I believe it is maybe 20. Um, he said, it says that, and, and Noah did. And, and there's a lot of that language of God told Noah and Noah did. And it points back to Genesis one and two, where God said, let there be light. And there was, mm -hmm. um, there's also different 
time periods in the story of Noah. Um, and I believe, if I'm correct, there are six time periods, which you know lines up with obviously the six days of creation. And what you start to see, even as when it talks about God, um, when the waters are receding, it's the breath of God. It's the breath, the, the, the ruah is the, uh, I definitely did not pronounce that correctly. Um, you got to have more of like a huh in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, but it's the, you know, it's the Hebrew word for the, like the spirit of God that was resting over the waters in Genesis chapter one as well. And so we see really God's creation from the beginning is happening here again. And what I like about this is, you know, the original title was The New Beginning. And I change it to a new beginning, which doesn't seem significant, but I realize that there's a few of these times where we experience this in, in scripture. And so you have this with Noah, where you have a new beginning. I think in many ways, Moses in the Exodus story is a new beginning for God's people. When Jesus comes and redeems all things, forgives us of our sins, there is a new beginning for the church and for God's people. And every time someone puts their trust in Christ, it is a new beginning. And then you go to Revelation and you see a new beginning again, a new heavens and a new earth. And mm -hmm. so I think through, through all of these, God is just proving his faithfulness, proving his mercy, proving his grace that, hey, what I created is good and was meant to work in a certain way. And people have come and messed that thing up. But I'm extending grace and I'm extending mercy. And he continues to use us as his servants. Like he uses Noah for this new beginning, right? And he allows us to experience new life through Christ. And then he invites us into that relationship, but also into the mission to go and proclaim the good news so that all who would come to a saving faith will experience the new heavens and the new earth back to the way things were supposed to be in the beginning. Um, and, and then we get to experience that new life. So I, I just think it was, it was a really cool look into scripture and to see like God is the same God and, and he continues to give us chance after chance, mm -hmm. after chance, after chance, we keep messing it up and he keeps giving us more and more grace and mercy, um, ultimately fulfilled through Jesus till the day when the true new beginning will come and we will enter into glory free from all of this, knowing there is no more going back to mm -hmm. our sinful and broken ways. That's incredible. I, I personally have never, uh, even heard that idea or even read the Bible and with that lens, but how amazing and, and even more of a clear understanding, even for me of God's mercy and, and how like we have messed it up, but he just a new beginning, a new beginning. And what a great day it's going to be when Christ returns to where that final beginning of there, there is no more mistakes at this point. Yeah. There's no more, as Isaiah says, there's no more pain. There's no more um, sorrow. There's only laughter and joy in being with God forever. And we are waiting expectantly for that day. Yep, absolutely. Well, on that note, Blake, thank you for being here and sharing this with me and uh, helping us to go a little bit deeper. Next week, We'll be talking about the Tower of Babel, where again, we will see that humanity immediately decides, you know what, God, we're not going to be for your glory. We're going to be for ours. And you're like, oh, OK, we're back to this again. So uh, excited for that on Sunday and again on the podcast next week. So thank you all for tuning in and listening. We appreciate it. And we will see you on Sunday. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We'll see you.